Chapter Four of the Trees of Pride. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. The Trees of Pride by G. K. Chesterton. Chapter Four, The Chase After the Truth. Some time after the inquest, which had ended in the inconclusive verdict which Mr. Andrew Ashe had himself predicted and achieved, Painter was again sitting on the bench outside the village inn having on the little table in front of it a tall glass of light ale which he enjoyed much more as local colour than as liquor he had but one companion on the bench and that a new one for the little market-place was empty at that hour and he had lately for the rest been much alone he was not unhappy for he resembled his great countryman walt whitman in carrying a kind of universe with him like an open umbrella but he was not only alone but lonely for Ashe had gone abruptly up to London, and since his return had been occupied obscurely with legal matters, doubtless bearing on the murder. And Treherne had long since taken up his position openly at the great house, as the husband of the great lady, and he and she were occupied with sweeping reforms on the estate. The lady especially, being of the sort whose very dreams drive at practice, was landscape gardening as with the gestures of a giantess. It was natural, therefore, that so sociable a spirit as Painter should fall into speech with the one other stranger who happened to be staying at the inn, evidently a bird of passage like himself. This man, who was smoking a pipe on the bench beside him, with his knapsack before him on the table, was an artist come to sketch on that romantic coast. A tall man in a velvet jacket with a shock of tow-colored hair, a long fair beard, but eyes of dark brown. The effect of which contrast reminded Painter vaguely, he hardly knew why of a russian the stranger carried his knapsack into many picturesque corners he obtained permission to set up his easel in that high garden where the late squire had held his alfresco banquets but painter had never had an opportunity of judging of the artist's work nor did he find it easy to get the artist even to talk of his art cyprian himself was always ready to talk of any art and he talked of it excellently but with little response he gave his own reason for preferring the cubist to the cult of picasso but his new friend seemed to have but a faint interest in either he insinuated that perhaps the neo-primitives were after all only thinning their line while the true primitives were rather tightening it but the stranger seemed to receive the insinuation without any marked reaction of feeling when painter had even gone back as far into the past as the post-impressionists to find a common ground and not found it other memories began to creep back into his mind he was just reflecting rather darkly that after all the tale of the peacock trees needed a mysterious stranger to round it off and this man had much the air of being one when the mysterious stranger himself said suddenly well i think i'd better show you the work i'm doing down here he had his knapsack before him on the table and he smiled rather grimly as he began to unstrap it painter looked on with polite expressions of interest I was considerably surprised when the artist unpacked and placed on the table not any recognizable works of art even of the most cubist description but first a choir fool's cap closely written with notes in black and red ink and second to the american's extreme amazement the old woodsman's axe with the linen wrapper which he had himself found in the well long ago sorry to give you a start sir said the russian artist with a marked london accent but I'd better explain straight off that I'm a policeman. You don't look it, said Painter. I'm not supposed to, replied the other. Mr. Ashe brought me down here from the yard to investigate. 
but he told me to report to you when I'd got anything to go on. Would you like to go into the matter now? When I took this matter up, explained the detective, I did it at Mr. Ashe's request, and largely, of course, on Mr. Ashe's lines. Mr. Ashe is a great criminal lawyer, with a beautiful brain, sir, as full as a Newgate calendar. I took, as a working notion, his view that only you five gentlemen round the table in the squire's garden were acquainted with the squire's movements. But you, gentlemen, if I may say so, have a way of forgetting certain other things, and other people which we are rather taught to look for first. And as I followed Mr. Ashe's inquiries through the stages you know already, though certain suspicions I needn't discuss because they've been dropped, I found the thing shaping after all towards something in the end, which I think we should have considered at the beginning. Now to begin with, it is not true that there were five men around the table. There were six. The creepy conditions of that garden vigil vaguely returned upon Painter, and he thought of a ghost, or something more nameless than a ghost, but the deliberate speech of the detective soon enlightened him. There were six men and five gentlemen, if you like to put it so, he proceeded. That man Miles, the butler, saw the squire vanish as plainly as you did, and I soon found that Miles was a man worthy of a good deal of attention. A light of understanding dawned on Painter's face. So that was it, was it? he muttered. Does all our mythological mystery end with a policeman collaring a butler? Well, I agree with you he is far from an ordinary butler, even to look at, and the fault in imagination is mine, like many faults in imagination. It was simply snobbishness. We don't go quite so fast as that, observed the officer in an impassive manner. I only said I found the inquiry pointing to Miles, and that he was well worthy of attention. He was much more in the old squire's confidence than many people supposed, and when I cross-examined him he told me a good deal that was worth knowing. I've got it all down in these notes here, but at the moment I'll only trouble you with one detail of it. One night this butler was just outside the squire's dining-room door when he heard the noise of a violent quarrel. The squire was a violent gentleman from time to time, but the curious thing about this scene was that the other gentleman was the more violent of the two. Miles heard him say repeatedly that the squire was a public nuisance, and that his death would be a good riddance for everybody. I only stop now to tell you that the other gentleman was Dr. Burton Brown, the medical man of this village. The next examination I made was that of Martin, the woodcutter. Upon one point at least his evidence is quite clear, and is, as you will see, largely confirmed by other witnesses. He says first that the doctor prevented him from recovering his axe, and this is corroborated by Mr. and Mrs. Treherne. But he says further that the doctor admitted having the thing himself, and this again finds support in other evidence by the gardener, who saw the doctor some time afterward come by himself and pick up the chopper. Martin says that Dr. Brown repeatedly refused to give it up, alleging some fanciful excuse every time. And finally, Mr. Painter, we will hear the evidence of the axe itself. He laid the woodman's tool on the table in front of him, and began to rip up and unwrap the curious linen covering round the handle. You will admit this is an odd bandage, he said, and that's just the odd thing about it, that it really is a bandage. This white stuff is the sort of lint they use in hospitals, cut into strips like this, but most doctors keep some, and I have the evidence of Jake the fisherman, with whom Dr. Brown lived for some time, that the doctor had this useful habit. And last, he added, flattening out a corner of the rag on the table, isn't it odd that it should be marked T.B.B.? 
the american gazed at the rudely inked initials but hardly saw them what he saw as in a mirror in his darkened memory was the black figure with the black gloves against the blood-red sunset as he had seen it when he came out of the wood and which had always haunted him he knew not why of course i see what you mean he said and it's very painful to me for i knew and respected the man but surely also it's very far from explaining everything if he is a murderer is he a magician why did the well water all evaporate in the night and leave the dead man's bones dry as dust that's not a common operation in the hospitals is it as to the water we do know the explanation said the detective i didn't tumble to it at first myself being a cockney but a little talk with jake and the other fishermen about the old smuggling days put me straight about that but i admit the dried remains still stump us all all the same a shadow fell across the table and his talk was sharply cut short ash was standing under the painted sign buttoned up grimly in black and with the face of a hanging judge of which the poet had spoken playing this time in the broad sunlight behind him stood two big men in plain clothes very still but painter knew instantly who they were we must move at once said the lawyer dr burton brown is leaving the village the tall detective sprang to his feet and painter instinctively imitated him he has gone up to the tree herns possibly to say good-bye went on ash rapidly i'm sorry but we must arrest him in the garden there if necessary i've kept the lady out of the way i think but you addressing the factitious landscape painter must go up at once and rig up that easel of yours near the table and be ready we will follow quietly and come up behind the tree we must be careful for it's clear he's got wind of us or he wouldn't be doing a bolt i don't like this job remarked painter as they mounted toward the park in the garden the detective darting on ahead do you suppose i do asked ash and indeed his strong heavy face looked so lined and old that the red hair seemed unnatural like a red wig i've known him longer than you though perhaps i've suspected him longer as well when they topped the slope of the garden the detective had already erected his easel though a strong breeze blowing towards the sea rattled and flapped his apparatus and blew about his fair and false beard in the wind little clouds curled like feathers were scuttling seaward across the many-colored landscape which the american art critic had once surveyed on a happier morning but it is doubtful if the landscape painter paid much attention to it treherne was dimly discernible in the doorway of what was now his house he would come no nearer for he hated such a public duty more bitterly than the rest the others posted themselves a little way behind the tree between the lines of these masked batteries the black figure of the doctor could be seen coming across the green lawn travelling straight as a bullet as he had done when he brought the bad news to the woodcutter to-day he was smiling under the dark moustache that was cut short of the upper lip though they fancied him a little pale and he seemed to pause a moment and peer through his spectacles at the artist the artist turned from his easel with a natural movement and then in a flash he captured the doctor by the coat collar i arrest you he began but dr brown plucked himself free with a startling promptitude took a flying leap at the other tore off his sham beard tossed it into the air like one of the wild wisps of the cloud then with one wild kick sent the easel flying topsy-turvy and fled like a hare for the shore even at that dazzling instant painter felt that this wild reception was a novelty and almost an anticlimax but he had no time for the analysis when he and the whole pack had to follow in the hunt even treherne bringing up the rear with a renewed curiosity and energy 
the fugitive collided with one of the policemen who ran to head him off sending him sprawling down the slope indeed the fugitive seemed inspired with the strength of a wild ape he cleared at a bound the rampart of flowers over which barbara had once leaned to look at her future lover and tumbled with blinding speed down the steep path up which the troubadour had climbed racing with the rushing wind they all streamed across the garden after him down the path and finally on to the seashore by the fisher's cot in the pierced crags and caverns the american admired when he first landed the runaway did not however make for the house he had long inhabited but rather for the pier as if with a mind to seize the boat or to swim only when he reached the other end of the small stone jetty did he turn and show them the pale face with the spectacles and they saw that it was still smiling i'm rather glad of this said treherne with a great sigh the man is mad nevertheless the naturalness of the doctor's voice when he spoke startled them as much as a shriek gentlemen he said i won't protract your painful duties by asking you what you want but i will ask at once for a small favor which will not prejudice those duties in any way i came down here rather in a hurry perhaps but the truth is i thought i was late for an appointment he looked dispassionately at his watch i find there is still some fifteen minutes will you wait with me here for that short time after which i am quite at your service there was a bewildered silence and then painter said for my part i feel as if it would really be better to humour him ash said the doctor with a new note of seriousness for old friendship grant me this last little indulgence it will make no difference i have no arms or means of escape you can search me if you like i know you think you are doing right and i also know you will do it as fairly as you can well after all you get friends to help you look at our friend with the beard or the remains of the beard why shouldn't i have a friend to help me a man will be here in a few minutes in whom i can put some confidence a great authority on these things why not if only out of curiosity wait and hear his view of the case this seems all moonshine said ash but on the chance of any light on things well from the moon i don't mind waiting a quarter of an hour who is this friend i wonder some amateur detective i suppose i thank you said the doctor with some dignity i think you will trust him when you have talked to him a little and now he added with an air of amiably relaxing into lighter matters let us talk about the murder this case he said in a detached manner will be found i suspect to be rather unique there is a very clear and conclusive combination of evidence against thomas burton brown otherwise myself but there is one peculiarity about that evidence which you may perhaps have noticed it all comes ultimately from one source and that a rather unusual one thus the woodcutter says i had his axe but what makes him think so he says i told him i had his axe that i told him so again and again once more mr painter here pulled up the axe out of the well but how i think mr painter will testify that i brought him the tackle for fishing it up tackle he might never have gotten any other way curious is it not again the axe is found to be wrapped in lint that was in my possession according to the fisherman but who showed the lint to the fisherman i did who marked it with large letters as mine i did who wrapped it round the handle at all i did rather a singular thing to do has anyone ever explained it his words which had been heard at first with painful coolness were beginning to hold more and more of their attention then there is the well itself proceeded the doctor with the same air of insane calm 
I suppose some of you by this time know at least the secret of that. Well, the secret of the well is simply that it is not a well. It is purposely shaped at the top so as to look like one, but it is really a sort of chimney opening from the floor of one of those caves over there, a cave that runs inland just under the wood, and indeed is connected by tunnels and secret passages with other openings miles and miles away. It is a sort of labyrinth used by smugglers and such people for ages past. This doubtless explains many of those disappearances we have heard of. But to return to the well, that is not a well, in case some of you still don't know about it. When the sea rises very high at certain seasons, it fills the low cave, and even rises a little way in the funnel above, making it look more like a well than ever. The noise Mr. Painter heard was the natural eddy of a breaker from outside, and the whole experience depended on something so elementary as the tide. The American was startled into ordinary speech. The tide, he said, and I never thought of it. I guess that comes of living by the Mediterranean. The next step will be obvious enough, continued the speaker, to a logical mind like that of Mr. Ashe, for instance. If it be asked why, even so, the tide did not wash away the squire's remains that had lain there since his disappearance, there is only one possible answer. The remains had not lain there since his disappearance. The remains had been deliberately put there in the cavern under the wood, and put there after Mr. Painter had made his first investigation. They were put there, in short, after the sea had retreated, and the cave was again dry. That is why they were dry, of course, much drier than the cave. Who put them there, I wonder? He was gazing gravely through his spectacles over their heads into vacancy, and suddenly he smiled. Ah, he cried, jumping up from the rock with alacrity. Here's the amateur de detective at last. Ash turned his head over his shoulder, and for a few seconds did not move it again, but stood as with a stiff neck. In the cliff just behind him was one of the clefts, or cracks, into which it was everywhere cloven. Advancing from this into the sunshine, as if from a narrow door, was Squire Vane, with a broad smile on his face. The wind was tearing from the top of the high cliff out to sea, passing over their heads, and they had the sensation that everything was passing over their heads and out of their control. Painter felt as if his head had been blown off like a hat, but none of the scale of unreason seemed to stir a hair on the white head of the squire. His bearing, though self-important and bordering on a swagger, seemed if anything more comfortable than in the old days. His red face was, however, burnt like a sailor's, and his light clothes had a foreign look. "'Well, gentlemen,' he said genially, "'so this is the end of the legend of the peacock trees.' "'Sorry to spoil that delightful traveler's tale, Mr. Painter, "'but the joke couldn't be kept up forever. "'Sorry to put a stop in your best poem, Mr. Treherne, "'but I thought all this poetry had been going a little too far. "'So Dr. Brown and I fixed up a little surprise for you, "'and I must say, without vanity, that you look a little surprised.' "'What on earth,' asked Ash at last, "'is the meaning of all this?' "'The squire laughed pleasantly, and even a little apologetically.' "'I'm afraid I'm fond of practical jokes,' he said, "'and this, I suppose, is my last grand practical joke. "'But I want you to understand that the joke is really practical. "'I flatter myself it will be of very practical use "'to the cause of progress and common sense, "'and the killing of such superstitions everywhere. "'The best part of it, I admit, was the doctor's idea and not mine. "'All I meant to do was to pass the night in the trees "'and then turn up as fresh as paint to tell you what fools you were.' But Dr. Brown here followed me into the wood, and we had a little talk which rather changed my plans. He told me that a disappearance for a few hours like that would never knock the nonsense on the head, 
most people would never even hear of it and those who did would say that one night proved nothing he showed me a much better way which had been tried in several cases where bogus miracles had been shown up the thing to do was to get the thing really believed everywhere as a miracle and then show up everywhere as a sham miracle i can't put all the arguments as well as he did but that was the notion i think the doctor nodded gazing silently at the sand and the squire did resumed with undiminished relish we agreed that i should drop through the hole into the cave and make my way through the tunnels where i often used to play as a boy to the railroad station a few miles from here and there take a train for london it was necessary for the joke of course that i should disappear without being traced so i made my way to a port and put in a very pleasant month or two round my old haunts in cyprus and the mediterranean there is no more to say of that part of the business except that i arranged to be back by a particular time and here i am but i've heard enough of what's gone on round here to be satisfied that i've done the trick everybody in cornwall and most people in south england have heard of the vanishing squire and thousands of noodles have been nodding their heads over crystals and tarot cards at this marvellous proof of an unseen world i reckon the reappearing squire will scatter their cards and smash their crystals so that such rubbish won't appear again in the twentieth century i'll make the peacock trees the laughing stock of all europe and america well said the lawyer who was the first to rearrange his wits i'm sure we're all only too delighted to see you again squire and i quite understand your explanation and your own very natural motives in the matter but i'm afraid i haven't got the hang of everything yet granted that you wanted to vanish was it necessary to put bogus bones in the cave so as nearly to put a halter around the neck of dr brown and who put it there the statement would appear perfectly maniacal but so far as i can make head or tail of anything dr brown seems to have put it there himself the doctor lifted his head for the first time yes i put the bones there he said i believe i am the first son of adam who ever manufactured all the evidence of a murder charge against him it was the squire's turn to look astonished the old gentleman looked rather wildly from one to the other bones murder charge he ejaculated what the devil is all this whose bones your bones in a manner of speaking delicately conceded the doctor i had to make sure you had really died and not disappear by magic the squire in his turn seemed more hopelessly puzzled than the whole crowd of his friends had been over his own escapade why not he demanded i thought it was the whole point to make it look like magic why did you want me to die so much dr brown had lifted his head and now very slowly lifted his hand he pointed with outstretched arm at the headland overhanging the foreshore just above the entrance to the cave it was the exact part of the beach where painter had first landed on that spring morning when he had looked up in his first fresh wonder at the peacock trees but the trees were gone the fact itself was no surprise to them the clearance had naturally been one of the first of the sweeping changes of the treehern regime but though they knew it well they had wholly forgotten it and its significance returned on them suddenly like a sign in heaven that is the reason said the doctor i have worked for that for fourteen years they no longer looked at the bare promontory on which the feathery trees had once been so familiar a sight for they had something else to look at any one seeing the squire now would have shifted his opinion about where to find the lunatic in that crowd it was plain in a flash that the change had fallen on him like a thunderbolt that he at least had never had the wildest notion that the tale of the vanishing squire had been but a prelude to that of the vanishing trees the next half hour was full of his ravings and expostulations 
which gradually died away into the demands for explanation and incoherent questions repeated again and again he had practically to be overruled at last in spite of the respect in which he was held before anything like a space and silence were made in which the doctor could tell his own story it was perhaps a singular story of which he alone had ever had the knowledge and though its narration was not uninterrupted it may be set forth consecutively in his own words first i wish it clearly understood that i believe in nothing i do not even give the nothing i believe a name or i should be an atheist i have never had inside my head so much as a hint of heaven and hell i think it most likely we are worms in the mud but i happen to be sorry for the other worms under the wheel and i happen myself to be a sort of worm that turns when he can if i care nothing for piety i care less for poetry i'm not like ash here who is crammed with criminology but has all sorts of other culture as well i know nothing about culture except bacteria culture i sometimes fancy that mr ash is as much an art critic as mr painter only he looks for his heroes or villains in real life but i am a very practical man and my stepping-stones have been simply scientific facts in this village i found a fact a fever i could not classify it it seemed peculiar to this corner of the coast it had singular reactions of delirium and mental breakdown i studied it exactly as i should a queer case in the hospital and corresponded and compared notes with other men of science but nobody had even a working hypothesis about it except of course the ignorant peasantry who said the peacock trees were in some wild way poisonous well the peacock trees were poisonous the peacock trees did produce the fever i verified the fact in the plain plodding way required comparing all the degrees and details of a vast number of cases and there were a shocking number to compare at the end of it i had discovered the thing as harvey discovered the circulation of the blood everybody that was the worse for being near the things those who came off best were exactly the exceptions that proved the world abnormally healthy and energetic people like the squire and his daughter in other words the peasants were right but if i put it that way somebody will cry but do you believe it was supernatural then in fact that's what you'll all say and that's exactly what i complain of i fancy hundreds of men have been left dead and diseases left undiscovered by this suspicion of superstition the stupid fear of fear unless you see daylight through the forest of facts from the first you won't venture into the wood at all unless we can promise you beforehand that there shall be what you call a natural explanation to save your precious dignity from miracles you won't even hear the beginning of the plain tale suppose there isn't a natural explanation suppose there is and we never find it suppose i haven't a notion whether there is or not what the devil has that to do with you or with me in dealing with the facts i do know my own instinct is to think there is that if my researches could be followed far enough it would be found that some horrible parody of hay fever some effect analogous to that of pollen would explain all the facts i have never found the explanation what i have found are the facts and the fact is that those trees on the top there dealt death right and left as certainly as if they had been giants standing on a hill and knocking men down in crowds with a club it will be said that now i had only to produce my proofs and have the nuisance removed perhaps i might have convinced the scientific world finally where when more and more processions of dead men had passed through the village to the cemetery but i had not got to convince the scientific world but the lord of the manor the squire will pardon me by saying that it was a very different thing i tried it once 
I lost my temper and said things I do not defend, and I left the squire's prejudices rooted anew like the trees. I was confronted with one colossal coincidence that was an obstacle to all my aims. One thing made all my science sound like nonsense. It was the popular legend. Squire, if there were a legend of hay fever, you would not believe in hay fever. If there were a popular story about pollen, you would say that pollen was only a popular story. I had something against me heavier and more hopeless than the hostility of the learned. I had the support of the ignorant. My truth was hopelessly tangled up with a tale that the educated were resolved to regard as entirely a lie. I never tried to explain again. On the contrary, I apologized, affected a conversation to the common-sense view, and watched events. And all the times the lines of a larger, if more crooked plan, began to get clearer in my mind. I knew that Miss Vane, whether or no she were married to Mr. Treherne, as I afterward found she was, was so much under his influence that the first day of her inheritance would be the last day of the poisonous trees. But she could not inherit or even interfere till the squire died. It became simply self-evident to a rational mind that the squire must die. But wishing to be humane as well as rational, I desired his death to be temporary. Doubtless my scheme was completed by a chapter of accidents, but I was watching for such accidents. Thus I had a foreshadowing of how the axe would figure in the tail when it was first flung at the trees. It would have surprised the woodmen to know how near our minds were, and how I was but laying a more elaborate siege to the towers of pestilence. But when the squire spontaneously rushed on what half the countryside would call certain death, I jumped at my chance. I followed him and told him all that he has told you. I don't suppose he'll ever forgive me now, but that shan't preventing me saying that I admire him hugely for being what people would call a lunatic and what is really a sportsman. It takes rather a grand old man to make a joke in the grand style. He came down so quick from the tree he had climbed that he had no time to pull his hat off the bough it had caught in. At first I found I had made a miscalculation. I thought his disappearance would be taken as his death, at least after a little time. But Ash told me there could be no formalities without a corpse. I fear I was a little annoyed, but I soon set myself to the duty of manufacturing a corpse. It's not hard for a doctor to get a skeleton. Indeed, I had one, but Mr. Painter's energy was a day too early for me, and I only got the bones into the well when he had already found it. His story gave me another chance, however. I noted where the hole was in the hat, and made a precisely corresponding hole in the skull. The reason for creating the other clues may not be so obvious. It may not yet be altogether apparent to you that I am not a fiend in human form. I could not substantiate a murder without at least suggesting a murderer, and I was resolved that if the crime happened to be traced to anybody, it should be to me. So I am not surprised you were puzzled about the purpose of the rag round the axe, because it had no purpose except to incriminate the man who put it there. The chase had to end with me, and when it was closing in at last, the joke of it was too much for me and I fear I took liberties with the gentleman's easel and beard. I was the only person who could risk it, being the only person who could at the last moment produce the squire and prove there had been no crime at all. That, gentleman, is a true story of the peacock trees, and that bare crag up there, where the wind is whistling as it would over wilderness, is a waste plan I have labored to make, as many men have labored to make a cathedral. I don't think there is any more to say, and yet something moves in my blood, and I will try to say it. Could you not have trusted a little these peasants whom you already trust so much? These men are men, and they meant something. Even their fathers were not wholly fools. If your gardener told you of the trees, you called him a madman. 
but he did not plan and plant your garden like a madman you would not trust your woodman about these trees yet you trusted him with all the others have you thought what all the work of the world would be like if the poor were so senseless as you think them but no you stuck to your rational principle and your rational principle was that a thing must be false because thousands of men had found it true that because many human eyes had seen something it could not be there he looked across at ash with a sort of challenge but though the sea wind ruffled the old lawyer's red mane his napoleonic mask was unruffled it even had a sort of beauty from its new benignity i am too happy just now in thinking how wrong i have been he answered to quarrel with you doctor about our theories and yet in justice to the squire as well as myself i should demur to your sweeping inference i respect these peasants i respect your regard for them but their stories are a different matter i think i would do anything for them but believe them truth and fancy after all are mixed in them when in the more instructed they are separate and i doubt if you've considered what would be involved in taking their word for anything half the ghosts of those who died of fever may be walking by now and kind as these people are i believe they might still burn a witch no doctor i admit these people have been badly used i admit they are in many ways our betters but i still could not accept anything in their evidence the doctor bowed gravely and respectfully enough and then for the last time that day they saw his rather sinister smile quite so he said but you would have hanged me on their evidence and turning his back on them as if automatically he set his face toward the village where for so many years he had gone his rounds end of chapter four Recording by Maria Therese End of The Trees of Pride by G. K. Chesterton